Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the 1993 AL Rookie of the Year, World Series Champion, and Angels Hall of Famer, Tim Salmon. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by the 1993 AL Rookie of the Year, 2002 World Series champion, and an Angels Hall of Famer, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Salmon. Timmy, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, buddy. Booney, it's been a long time. Good to hear your voice. Um, you know, we're part of that old guy club now, so it's, it's, it's nice to have an opportunity to relive some old memories. <laughs> Yeah, we are the old guy group. You know, it's uh, it's well, it, it's getting away from us, man. It's it's fifteen, seventeen years ago. It seems some days it seems like it was yesterday, and some days it seems like it was another lifetime ago. Um, Isn't that true? <laughs> I had uh, all right. I've had a recent segment. I've been asking guys this nicknames. Okay, Boone. Mine's pretty basic. It's Booty Boone. You know, my dad's same thing. Brother, we we all kind of get grouped into that. Now, my mom would call me Brett or Bretty, and the only man that ever called me by my first name consistently with a straight face was Jamie Moyer. He'd walk into the clubhouse every day. Go, Bretty, how are we today? Now. <laughs> Your name, easy. You know, you're going to go down that fish road. I, I was reading. I didn't even know your nickname because whenever I see you hit a double, you come to say, hey, Timmy, how you doing today? Way to swing it. That's all I'd say. Yeah. But yeah. I'm reading about it. Kingfish, this fish, that fish. What did people, what did, what did your true teammates call you consistently? Okay. So, yeah. So that's funny you say that because I was just, I'm here in Arizona and I was hanging out with some high school buddies and they're like, Timmy. You know, it's everything's teaming, you know, T-bone, you know, it was like, it was never fish until I got to, you know, Anaheim and started playing baseball. I mean, even Joe Madden who signed me, you know, everything's Timmy, you know, so fish kind of came into place once, once I got to the big leagues. And then I think Rex Hudler, you know, coined the term Kingfish and yeah. So, you know, I think it's just amongst the angel faithful that it's fish or Kingfish or, um, but yeah, all my old buddies and everybody pretty much called me Timmy growing up so <laughs> you know we, we don't get to coin them they, they just come to us right <laughs> they just they just come to us we just wear them whatever <laughs> yeah you're born yeah. you're born in long beach california grew up in belmont shore as a kid what was what was tim salmon like as a little kid well you know bouncing around belmont shore i mean i was you know it was, it was a different day i mean you, you left at sun up and you, you came home at sundown and I strolled the beaches and the bays and, you know, picked mussels and fished and just, you know, got into trouble as a kid and, um, or I guess was looking for it. But, um, you know, that's my early memories there, you know, played on a, played little league baseball for the first time and, um, played for the Belmont cups football team. Um, but you know, it was, it was, you know, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, whatever was in season. Um, you know, and that was pretty much that followed me. You know, I moved around. I mean, I moved to Arizona or to Texas and then Arizona. And so, you know, kept that schedule year round and then all the way through high school. So it really wasn't, you know, baseball only until I got to college. 
Uh, I know you're you're close with your brother and your grandma was a big influence on your on your early childhood. Um, and you end up moving around. Like you said, you you grew up in, in Texas and in Arizona. You're going back and forth. You end up settling down and going to going to high school uh, in Arizona. As a matter of fact, for those of you listening to the Boom podcast, Tim's brother, Mike, I went to school with at USC and he even, uh, we played on, the, he came out and he was a football player mainly, but he started playing baseball and he tried his hand at that. So we were, we were brief teammates. Uh, he's a little bit younger than me, but uh, give me what that yeah. was like for you. It's Arizona. It's Texas. Like I said, you ended up uh, settling down. You went to Greenway high in Arizona. Um, yeah. Yeah. What other sports so, were there? Yeah, other sports? I know yeah. you were a football player. Yeah, well, let's, let's just clarify. Sam Bam, that was Mike. That was my brother. He was a football player. But what's ironic is is that I was a football player, and he was the baseball player through, you know, going into high school. And then, you know, as with everything, you know, your your high school career kind of determines your next, you know, door that opens. And, and mine was baseball that opened, and his was football. So we kind of laugh about it today. You know, he was a switch-hitting center fielder. And, you know, he blossomed in football in high school and I blossomed in baseball in high school and they were really kind of each of our second loves. So, um, but yeah, growing up with Mike, having a younger brother who was basically my size, um, he, you know, we sharpened each other, you know, we were always out playing catch with something and, you know, shooting baskets, throwing pitches, hitting, throwing a football around the street. Um, so, you know, we both sharpened each other, you know, in all the places we moved, we always had a you know, even though we were the new kid in town, we always had a best friend, so to speak, you know, that we could go out and play catch with until we met friends. So, um, you know, he'll, he'd say the same thing. You know, I think we both sharpened each other growing up. Um, we just always had a ball in our hand, it seemed like. And um, it was pretty cool. You know, he, like I said, he, he was bigger for his age. So he had all the success. He was the stud on every team growing up. And I was the the late bloomer, the skinny kid that, you know, worked my tail off, you know, to earn my spot. But, you know, as I started to grow in high school, again, that's when I seemed to kind of blossom in baseball. I mean, I was always a good, good athlete, but I was never like my brother was a superstar in every sport, you know? So, um, you know, I kind of had to work out a little differently, but yeah, it was pretty much what it was. I mean, I, I think he probably gleaned more from me than I got from him, but, you know, and it helped him, but, you know, to really develop as that football player. So, and when you talk about the time we grew up, it was different. I mean, now these kids, they're doing everything. I mean, there's there's a hundred travel ball teams and we do this and we go from here to here for for you and myself. I mean, I grew up in, in Southern Cal and it was Connie Mack. That was our thing in high school. It's like once yep. the high school season ended, we had a place in Long Beach, Blair Field. And that's where all the best players yep. would go. And that was our summer league. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was much yeah. better because you, you could touch a little bit of the collegiate guys, too. They'd come and they'd pitch at Blair Field. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was yeah. that or Babe You know Ruth. what? That's funny. It, it's funny you say that because I'll, I'll give you a little glimpse. Because in, in Arizona at the time in high school, it was pony baseball out here. And, pony, yeah. Um, that was normal. Yeah, we played. Yeah, we played Pony and Legion, I think, too. And we had, you know, I made the all-star teams that went and played regionally and played against the California, you know, legions and pony teams. And, you know, that's about as far as we got. I mean, baseball was so much at, at a higher level in California than it was in Arizona, even though we blossomed and I was, you know, in my years, I was Arizona player of the year, all that kind of stuff. And I got drafted by the Braves in the 17th round, but I'll never forget my scout telling me, you know, he's like, look, you know, you're, you're a big fish in a small pond over here. <laughs> no pun intended, but 
you know, he was like, Hey, you know, in California, you know, the talent is just so much different, you know? And, um, and that was really eye opening. I was like, really, it's like that much better. I mean, seriously, but you know, but when I would go and play in the regional tournaments, we'd get a glimpse and it was like, it seemed like every team coming out of California, it was, they were all men with mustaches. That's what we always laughed about, you know, it's like, it was serious, you know, but yeah, that is, that's exactly kind of what you're saying. I mean, you guys had a bigger pool of talent than we did here in Arizona. You mentioned you were drafted by the Braves. Uh, you ended up going to Grand Canyon. Was it ever an option for you? Did you ever think about when you got that call on draft day? Uh, or were you just because of the round? I mean, for me, I really it wasn't an option. You know, I was a 29th round pick with the Twins out of high school. Yeah. I was upset and, and moped around for a couple of days. That how could they take, take me so low? Don't they know I'm the greatest yeah. player in the world? <laughs> and that's how yeah. I thought back then. I ended up going to to USC. It was the best thing that could happen to me. I think I needed that. You know, some guys are ready for it right out of high school. I think. Uh, the maturation process for me in college really helped me further on in life. But, uh, you know, you were a little different, a little lower, you, you were a higher round pick than I was. So was it ever, did it ever cross your mind or were you, once you made that decision to go to college? Uh, so, you going? Yeah. So let me tell you this. So I, I was, uh, growing up in Arizona, the only baseball I watched were Cubs on WGN and WTBS, the Braves. So I was a huge Braves fan. So when the Braves drafted me, they were comparing me to Dale Murphy. Um, but my scout that came, um, Bob Wadsworth, an old scout. And I, re- I remember him well. Okay. So, you know, him. all right. So Bob yeah. sat at my dinner at my table and, you know, he did the whole thing, the whole spiel. He told me where I was going to be going. He, you know, gave me a little organizational playbook. I was so excited. He offered me 15 grand. I was going to buy my first car and, I was off to the races until he took his hat off and he set it aside and he said, all right, I'm not representing the Atlanta Braves right now. Do not sign this contract because you're not ready to play pro ball. He goes, go to Grand Canyon College, uh, got a great program there. You're, you need to mature. You need to grow. You'll be better off in three years. Please do not sign this contract that I brought to the table. <laughs> so wow. I was like, I was shocked. I was really blown away. I was like, I'm off to play pro ball, whatever that means. I had no clue. And, um, and he was right. It was such uh, I, I wasn't ready. I mean, now that we all know what the minor leagues is like, I wouldn't have been ready. And I did, I developed and I, I grew, went to Grand Canyon and, you know, a little side note there too. I was, I was recruited by U of A all year. And at the very end, Jim wing, they, they talked to me and said that they weren't going to be able to offer me anything because they just won't come off the national championship. They'd taken Kevin long, the outfielder the year before, and they just felt like, you know, they didn't need another outfielder and, you know, they, they could go get blue chippers outside the state and that was their decision. So I was really bummed because that class was, you know, JT Snow and, um, you know, Hoffman and, you know, uh, Zenter. I mean, there were so many great players, young players in that U of A team. But guess what? I got to come into Grand Canyon and play as a freshman and develop for three years while those guys probably didn't get their playing time until their sophomores or junior years. So um, it was a better move for me. But it, isn't it funny? You look back at opportunities you thought that you missed out on ended up being the blessing in disguise, right? It's so weird you say that because I have a similar U of A story. And and uh, you said Wing. I remember Wing, I think. Was he the pitching coach? There was, the, there was Kendall. There was Stitt. And then, and then wing. Yeah. So there was the three of them. Stitt was the guy recruiting me. I was the same way I wanted, man, they started sending me letters when I was a sophomore and you know how you just kind of, 
you get uh, back then it wasn't like they signed now they they're signing kids freshmen in high school to to play four years yeah. later for us it was different it was you kind of waited till that senior year and take a trip i had a similar experience there was a guy and it's so weird because you mentioned uh wadsworth the guy I went to U of A, they told me, Jerry Kendall sat me down. He goes, Brett, you're full ride. Uh, we're not going to be able to offer you that because we're offering a kid by the name of Tom Reddington, who also Bob Wadsworth in 87 had drafted. He took your contract. I mean, he, we're going to give him the <laughs> yeah. full ride. And I was so angry. Anyway, fast forward, he was like a third round pick. He ended up signing. And then they came back to me late. And I was already like, no, I'm going to USC. You guys dogged me. So interesting how all these yeah. names come together. Uh, yeah. So quickly, yeah. but I think you make a great point about, you know, and now we're dads. And like you, you mentioned, the, we're, we're that older generation. And we see these kids making decisions about where they're going to go to school. And I remember... You know, my own son, uh, he was getting recruited uh, back east and, you know, he was a very smart kid and he had the opportunity to go to Princeton <clears throat> and he's weighing it out. He's like, Dad, would you go here or would you go to Northwestern? And I said, well, let's break it down, bud. I said, uh, Northwestern, as a freshman, are you going to go and play? He said, I probably won't start as freshman. I said, at Princeton, are you going to play? He said, I got a good chance to start. I said, well. To me, that's a no-brainer. You got the better education, as good education as you get, and you're going to play. A lot of these kids, they, they get f- fixated on that Division One. I, I got to play for the best yeah. college. But but you, if, if this is your passion, this is what you want to do long-term and take your shot at it, you got to be on the field. You know, pick, pick yeah. the best college for you, what you can handle academically, but you got to be on the field. So if it's going to a little bit of a lesser uh, athletic college to get on the field, I always tell them, to me, it's a no brainer because you want to do both. You got to get your studies in, but at the same time, it does you no good if you're at the number one uh, division one baseball college in the country and you don't play till your junior year. You know, it's kind of yeah. two years have been lost there. So that that's interesting. You made that decision and it ended up being the greatest thing for you at Grand Canyon. Yeah. 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 It, that, that's exactly it. And, and I, I'm a high school coach right now and um, I, it's a smaller school, but nonetheless, I still get two or three kids that can go off and play. And, you know, that's always the biggest thing. They want to go play here locally at Grand Canyon or somewhere. And I'm like, you know, they're probably going to let you walk on at best. And, you know, why would you want to do that? Go play at that D3 school out of state where you can keep playing. If you truly want to play baseball, and, and, you know, I've had scouts tell me too, I mean, it's your greatest years of development are 18 through 21. And if you're sitting on the bench, you know, you're not developing and I don't care what you say, you know, you miss that freshman and sophomore year on the bench. Those are key years of development. And, and so I think, you know, we, in my case, you know, it was fortunate for me because doors were shut. I didn't have another option given the option. I would probably would have chosen the other, which might've, you know, maybe we're not here talking today. So, um, you know, I, I didn't have the option, thankfully. Um, it was, you know, that was presented for me to me that way. And, you know, it all worked out. So 1989, you get drafted by the Angels and and pretty cool thing. And I, I always when, when I have someone on the on the program that played their entire career with one over. I always think it's not only is it unique, but I think it's kind of cool. 89, you sign with the Angels and, and you'll retire with the Angels years and years later. Your third round pick, uh, you sign, you're off to the minor leagues. We don't, uh, I don't get to see you for, for a couple years, but uh, you go to the Northwest League. Uh, 
1990, I think you're an A-ball and you get hit in the face. I didn't know about that uh, until I was reading up on Timmy Salmon. But uh, take me through those first couple years for you pro ball wise. And and how was that adjustment? Well, you know, first of all, and there's a few things to hit on, too, because I was I, I went to the Cape League coming out of college that year and and made the all-star team and all that kind of stuff. And we went down to boardwalk and baseball and we won everything. And, you know, I have was Jeff Bagwell's at third. Tr- Thomas was at first. Knobloch was at second. Um, Wedge was behind the play. Eric Wedge. We had a, a just a st- stunning team and everybody on that team was projected to go first round. And I was supposed to be a first round pick. And you know, of course, my junior year, things don't go. I mean, I had a good year and we played well, but I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't give the scouts what they wanted to see. And I dropped. And the Angels, who were just drafting pitchers that pretty much heavy that year, when the third round came around and I was still there, they said, what the heck? Because Joe Madden had scouted this area. He'd seen me play a ton. And he kept saying, look, this kid's still here. I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on. Take him. So, I was blessed to get taken by the angels in the third round, even though it was blow to me um, that that I went that late, but you know, it really worked out great being with the angels being, you know, spring trainings here, um, you know, everything's close. Um, But like I said, I I go off to play in that Northwest league, the first short short season year and some bend Oregon and anybody that's ever been up there, this, I don't know if the field's still the same. I think it is, but, sun would set in left center field who designed a baseball field where the sun sets in left center field is ridiculous. But, um, yeah, we talked about it all year long and sure enough in, in August, uh, I was the lucky one that finally happened to lost an O2 fastball in, in the glare and took one of the chops, broke my nose. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate it was just, he broke my nose and, um, ended that season a couple of weeks early. But the crazy thing is the very next year I went to Palm Springs and uh, playing a ball there and first month of the season facing a guy you might remember, Kerry Woodson. He was a number one draft pick pitcher for the Mariners. He was a teammate of mine. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he had a, you know, a really good fastball 95 ish and he threw one, he he had me O two and he was throwing O two up and in to get me off the plate. And I'm learning how to hit a slider, which is what you have to do. You got to stay in there a little longer. (laughs) <laughs> it was the perfect storm. And I caught another one in the face and broke my jaw. So that one really knocked me out for most of that season. I was wired up for, I think, six to eight weeks or something. And then um, came back and finished that that summer in double A for like the last week or two. And so my first two years did not start off well. I mean, I took them in the chops both times. And, you know, I think there was some speculation whether I was going to be able to get back on the horse. But, you know, thank the good Lord I did. And uh, I was able to resume my career and um, yeah, that was it. That was tough those first couple of years for sure. You went to Midland. Uh, you hit 23 homers, and Mid- Midland's a tough place to hit. When I was with the A's, uh, we had a we had a dub- our double A was in Midland, and I'd show up there and I'd watch BP every day, and that wind just howling in, and then you didn't know it'd blow one way or the other. But it's not the easiest place to hit. You had a pretty good year. You hit 245, but the next year is the one uh, where we meet. I'm in Calgary uh, on that in that PCL you're in Edmonton. And I remember that year, I I think you ended up being minor league player of the year. Uh, But I remember that was the talk and we had a pretty good league. I mean, I think Piazza ended up coming up. Uh, There was like a Nigel Wilson, Raul Mondesi, Carl Everett, Pedro was in that league. We had, we had a pretty good class in that, in that PCL in 92, but 
you kind of put it all together. You were the MVP of the league. And when Tim Salmon came down, it's like, you got to be careful with Salmon. I remember Piazza. I think that year he got called up about midway. And I remember I had no idea who Mike Piazza was. And I remember uh, Albuquerque came to town to Calgary and he, he got like nine hits in three games and he had just been called up from double A and everybody, he left us going, who the hell is that guy? You know, at the time it was like, Oh, that's uh that's uh what's his name's nephew or something, or his godfather, yeah. you know, Lasorda. Yeah, we like, wow, wow yeah. that, was, that guy can hit man. <laughs> but what do you remember yeah. about that league or about that year? You had, you know, you hit 347, yeah. 29, 105. So you'd finally put it all together. I think we got called up around the same time, August, in the middle of yeah. August. We both went to the biggest. And I remember always watching Tim Sam because that year, you know, I had yeah. a good year at AAA. I didn't have the year you had, but I was hitting around 320. And it seems like the guys you play against and when you get called up at a similar time, you're kind of watching each other. Because I remember I went to the big yeah. leagues and I, I thought I was going to continue to kill it. And it was a month or six weeks of humble pie for me. And I'm looking over, well, well, Salmon was better than me this year and he struggled too. So it made me, it made me feel a little bit better. When you got that first call up, uh, how was it? Because obviously the expectations were huge for you. Yeah. Well, you know, the that, that whole experience in AAA, like I said, it comes together. That's what you're hoping for in prospects, right? You're hoping for that year where everything kind of comes together and it's your breakout year. And I was having a great season all year long, but the Angels um, were adamant. And, and the Angels were going nowhere, right? I mean, they were terrible. and But they were adamant and keeping me down there all year long. They wanted me to finish the season so that I felt like when they called me up, there was no going back. And, again, that was – you know, you look back in hindsight and go, wow, that was, that was awesome because, you know, they could have called me up, you know, to save a struggling team in the big leagues and back in July and I could have been on the yo-yo and, you know, struggled for half a season and then, you know, who knows, but, you know, to go up at the end of the year after a full season, I think they finally called me up because they wanted me to win the triple crown and Troy Neal had me beat by like three percentage points going into like the last week of August and they sat him. Because I figured, you know, they wanted him to win the, you know, the A's wanted him to, they, you know, they, the organizations want to have their prospects, right, that do things. And they wanted him to win the batting title. So they sat him because they knew that I couldn't catch him. The only way I could catch him is if he went over, you know. So, and at that point, then the Angels said, okay, it's time to bring him up. And they brought me up in August, but um, August 21st, I believe. And um, so, yeah, what do I remember about that league? I mean, yeah, playing against you guys, I mean, Obviously, you know, I, I knew about you, your name, but I knew about, you know, through my brother and, you know, he did talk about different guys, but, um, you know, the triple a, you know, look back, looking back and maybe you, you'd reflect the same, you know, the TCL was kind of, it's different than it is today. There's a lot of older players. I mean, we had guys on our team that were, you know, early thirties, mid thirties guys trying to, I mean, Ken Obertrell was a teammate, um, you know, Willie Frazier. I mean, I, I just think of, you know, all these veteran guys, you know, Ray Sears. I mean, these guys were on the end of their careers. They'd had big league careers and trying to hang on. And, and what I thought was cool about that in hindsight was you really got to, you got to understand the mindset of a, of the veteran guy, the, the older players that have been there, you know, the stories, you know, just the tutelage of, you know, being with these guys and playing against them. And, and the league became, it was really kind of an off-speed league, I thought. I mean, we lear- I learned to hit the off-speed pitch. I mean, the slider, you know that. The slider's the great equalizer. And I saw so many of them in that year that I figured out how to hit it and really 
learned to feast on it. And that was really, you know, carried me in my career that, you know, the slider was the pitch that I loved to hit. You know, I mean, you would trust your hands on the fastball, but the slider, man, I hunted it. And, you know, that was something I learned in AAA in that league. So I thought it was just a fantastic, you know, kind of foundational stepping stone into the big leagues in that era. Um, you know, I think today when you watch today's game, the kids don't have near the understanding of how to hit off-speed pitches. And I think it's because they get rushed so fast and you really don't see those veteran guys sticking around in the minor leagues, you know, living on off-speed, you know, cutting the corners, you know, pitching backwards, you know, to where you learn how to develop that part of your game. And so what you're seeing in the big leagues is why the curveball is such a big deal, you know, is that nobody knows how to hit the off-speed pitch because they never really were groomed hitting it. It's all been, you know, I, I, I figure it's like, you know, kids, like when we were in A ball and double A, it was all fastballs. You really didn't start seeing off-speed stuff till you got to triple A. And I just think that's a miss in the game. You guys just don't see that. But, um, but yeah, getting up to the big leagues was awesome. You know, just like everybody, you come up for that cup of coffee the last month of the September call up and, you know, it's awesome. It's cool. It's wide eyed and, you know, but you struggle, you take your lumps and, you know, um, but I knew in my situation coming into spring training the next year that they were going young and, you know, we were all going to get an opportunity myself, Damien Easley, JT Snow, Chad Curtis, um, DeSarcina. I mean, look around our club. It was all, it was all going to be young and we were just going to give a chance. We were all going to be given a chance to, you know, to figure it out and play. So came up in the right time and the right situation with the right organization for me. Uh, Chili was on that team. Uh, I'm thinking of the veterans on that team. Chuck Finley, Langer. So, yeah, uh, we had a veteran pitching staff. Jimmy yeah, Abbott. Sure. Chili. Chili was, a, uh, he was probably the only senior on that lineup, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was. We had a good team, you know, good good group of veterans, but a lot of young players that made it comfortable for us young players that were there. So, nineteen ninety three, you win uh, rookie of the year. Uh, you hit thirty one homers in ninety five. You hit two eighty three. Um, and I remember, I remember the year before. You know, there was there were certain criteria when you got called up. You could you couldn't go past. I think it was one hundred and twenty nine at bats to be eligible yeah. as a rookie the next year. And I, cause I remember I sat at, it didn't come to fruition for me. I was on that yo-yo you talked about in 93. I ended up getting about a half year in, uh, it, but I learned a lot, you know, and it was a lot of humble pie, but at the same time, uh, I needed some of it, you know, to, to work on, on certain aspects of my game. You went start to finish one rookie of the year and kind of, People expected that. Is people in the game like, yeah, this Tim Salmon, you know, look out for him next year to be, he's probably going to be the rookie of the year. You fulfilled it, uh, got off to a great start. Um, is that what you expected? Or, or was it just one of those things? It was felt like AAA again. You made that adjustment. Well, I mean, it's the big leagues. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I, I always, when I tell kids today, I said, you know, the best pitcher you face in AAA, they're pitching five nights a week in the big leagues. So, you know, it, it, it definitely, there was, there's a learning curve there. I, you know, I've always been a slow starter, um, you know, so the Aprils and Mays, even and then were not great. And I, you know, it's compounded for a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest thing was, is that it's the big leagues and learning how to play in the big leagues and really learning how to, how to think ahead. You know, whatever you're doing today, there's a team scouting you. When you play them in a week, that team's going to be scouting you looking at what you did today. And, you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve. Okay. Hey, you know, they're, 
you know, hey, I was hitting the ball away. Okay, this next team's going to be pitching me in. Okay, well, then I need to anticipate that and be ready for it. Or, you know, they're going to go off speed. And, and just learning how to put together a game plan in the big leagues where they're scouting and there's information. And it's not near what it is today. I mean, today it's instantaneous information. But back then, it was almost like you could kind of plan on, you know, when, when you go going to play Texas, they're going to be watching videotapes of how you were doing last week, <laughs> you know. Or, you know, same thing pitching. You know, we were looking at that that pitcher's last starts from a week ago. So I, I just, I, you know, I had people around me like Chili Davis and some veteran guys, a few veteran guys that did help me figure out how to game plan. But, um, you know, I, there, there was a, there was a, a period. I didn't, I didn't hit the ground running, like, and pick up the same success from the year before. I, I had to grind it out early on, and, and I just kind of got some, you know, got things rolling, and, you know, by mid-season, I was starting to find my 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 groove, I guess, and and um, you know, things finished up the way they did, and you know, and, and at that end of that year, I really felt like I belonged. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing with any young player is they get to the big leagues, and you know, when you're on that yo-yo, do you feel like you belong? I mean, you're going up there, you know, <laughs> getting your, you know, getting it handed to you. You know, you're kind of going, what's going on here at times, and but when you finally do hit that stride and, and you feel like you belong, then the game changes. And that's, I think that's the thing is, you know, with any team, even today, I mean, when you're looking at a young player, it's always, when can you get them to that point of where they feel like they belong? And, um, and for me, by the end of that year, I was pretty much feeling like I was belonging and then winning the rookie of the year pretty much established me. Dodgers gave Piazza, a, you know, three or four year contract and, you know, the redheaded stepchild angels had to match it. <laughs> and so there was a little pressure on them. And so they came and offered me the same. And, and at that point, then you just go, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for the next four years. Relax, you know, no looking back and, and just go out there and, you know, have your career. So. No, and you're right. And, and uh, you start off with Buck Rogers, latch takes over, uh, get you to Terry Collins. But as I'm going through your career here, uh, it's kind of building, you know, and you're slowly starting to uh, to accumulate the players that eventually in the early 2000s, when you had those really good angel teams in 2002, of course, you win the World Series. Uh, in 94, Garrett gets called to the big leagues. Jimmy Edmonds, um, 95, you, you, win a, you win a silver slugger. Uh, that's probably your biggest year. You hit 330 with 34 and 105. Uh, and you had some great years in there. Uh, Ersty comes on the scene in 96, Darren Erstead, who, by the way, is coming on the program next week. Um, yeah. But but you guys are kind of building. And, and it you know, we'll get eventually, we'll get to those social years and, and your World Series run. Um, to backtrack a little bit, I, I love when you said to finally belong. And I've told this story a lot. You're 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 dead on with that because as minor league players and we we kill it in the minor leagues and you're a prospect and everybody's saying, oh, he could be this. He could be that. But until you put the numbers up, you're right. You're earning your stripes. I remember uh, that 93 year, you know, and I mentioned it didn't go as well as yours, but I was on that shuttle for the first half and it was tumultuous for me. It was me and it, it was Lou Pinnell and myself back and forth, buttonheads. Uh and we couldn't stand each other. And today, one of my favorite men of all time and my favorite manager. But he taught me some tough lessons. And I remember late in that season, uh, we were playing in Minnesota. The Mariners were out of it. And in about the sixth inning, it was a blowout. And he took me out of the game. 
and I was up taking a shower with Jay Buhner and Ken Griffey Jr. It was the greatest shower I've ever taken because I thought, I finally belong. I made it. I made it. They took me out of the game with Kenny. Somebody's somebody's caddying for me, you know, stuff we do in the minor leagues. Yeah. I used to come in and back up in spring training all the time. And, and that was the moment for me where I felt I finally made it. He finally respects the fact that I'm a big league player. And, and looking back, it's kind of silly and goofy. But at the time, those are important things for young players. Yeah. It is. I mean, you're talking about, you know, having a caddy, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. you always think about spring training, you know, when you can finally be that player that plays, you know, the first, you know, you get two at bats, three, four innings, and then you're done, take it home, go play some golf. And you know, you're not that guy that has to wait it out nine innings, you know, to get your at bat late in the game, you know, in spring training. So yeah, there's those little milestone markers for everybody. I think for me, I, I didn't have to experience some of that as much because it happened pretty quickly. You know, everything kind of, came together in that first year for me. And, and I was treated pretty much like a veteran. I mean, this is how you, know, you had your moment. How about this? My rookie year, you know, back then we doubled up on the road, you know, you shared a room with somebody. Well, you know, Frank Sims, our traveling secretary, like, you know, by July, I think he's coming. He's like, Hey, Timmy, I got your own room for you. Well, I'm, I'm the, I'm the cleanup hitter. I mean, I've been, you know, I'm the number <laughs> three hitter in the lineup all year. I'm the, I'm the main guy in the offense. And, you know, finally, the driving secretary said, hey, you know what? You belong. You're, you're, you're like a veteran now. <laughs> so, I mean, it was kind of that moment, you know, I'm, I'm a rookie and I got my own room. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And they sound silly, you know, to, to people that haven't been through it or it sounds like, oh, what does that matter? But to us, th- those are the little things that that make you like, no, I'm a part of the team now. I'm a big leaguer for real. And uh yeah. They're cool, though. It's fun to look back on those on those times and see what we was so important to us, uh, yeah. how silly they are perceived, but really they are important. And that's just part of growing up and going from a, uh, a amateur player to a professional player to making that adjustment from from the minor leagues to the big leagues, because it's a huge jump. I, I love when and you hear it. You're in the game today. Well, the biggest jump is is to double A, and and I laugh all the time. I said, no, double A is kind of a yeah, it's a it's a good measuring stick to see if you can compete at a higher level. But I said, by far, the jump is from triple A to the big leagues. I mean, that's night and day. Uh, Remember, you know, in triple A, yeah. there's always a player on the other team. Hey, he's a really good player. Well, when you get to the yeah. big leagues, even even on the worst teams in the big leagues, everybody at every position is as good as that best player on the other team in the minor league. Yeah. And, that, and that's the whole difference. Well, how many, well, here's the other thing. How many guys you pass along the way, double A, single A, double A, triple A college, where they were the best player that you'd ever seen. And they never got to the big leagues. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not going to say names, but I, I, I do believe there's a couple guys in that triple A year that had big years that, you know, we never really saw in the big leagues. I mean, they might've got a cup of coffee, but they didn't really ever have careers. So, you know, that's the thing that stands out to me is that, you know, it, it's not about being the best player. I mean, you know, that, that's not always a guarantee. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think JT snow, you know, his story was he was stuck behind Don Mattingly until we traded for him. You know, I mean, can you imagine back in the day, you know, wasting your years. Well, Chris Crone, <laughs> you know, Chris you're Crone, yeah. in the big leagues, but he got stuck behind, you know, he, you know, in the White Sox organization behind Frank Thomas, you know, just, you know, he was a career triple a guy that should have had a big league career, you know, and he got stuck. That was just the error we were in, you know? 
uh, 2000, Mike Sosha comes on the scene, and and I'd been playing over in the National League, so uh, I was with the Reds from 94 to 98, and then a couple stops in uh, Atlanta, San Diego, back back to the American League, and and that's what I remember those those Angels teams and the great Angel teams you were on. Um, Sosha takes over in 2000. Did the culture there? It, change when he took over because as an opponent I always looked at you guys and I've talked to to a, a lot of a lot of your teammates uh, Garrett who was who I've had on the program we talked about it the one thing in those early 2000s and and what a great division we were in the American League West we were the kind of the class of baseball back then with the A's the Mariners and and uh, the Angels but I always yeah, thought yeah <laughs> But I always thought what stood out about you guys, and especially in 2002, what separated you from the rest of us was the way you guys ran the bases. And I remember coming into Anaheim or you coming into Safeco Field, now T-Mobile, and we'd have our meetings like we always have. All right, what are we going to do? And, and I'd always say, guys, these guys are different. They run in your face. They go first to third. Uh, Joan Figgins, who to this day makes me twitch, I used to have, we used to play infield in with a runner on third and Joan Figgins would be on third. And I knew he was going to run on a ground ball. And we're not used to as fielders having guys run in our face like that. We, we think, no, yeah. when the infield in, you're going to respect it. Well, your teams, you would run. And I had to <laughs> field it cleanly, make a good transfer and throw a strike to get him with the infield in. That's just how you guys played the game. And I thought it separated you guys from the rest. That was a little intangible that other teams didn't do. And I used to say these outfielders, you know, are known for having these great arms. I said, when you run in their face, that's because they're used to re- you respecting their arm. You run in their face all the time. You'll, you'll be amazed at how uh, inaccurate these guys' arms are when you're constantly putting the pressure on them. Uh, yeah. Just speak to it a little bit. And Sosha, what he brought in, it, did he change the culture in Anaheim? Well, for sure he did. And he came in on the heels of Terry Collins, and we had a, you know, we had a huge blow-up um, with that situation. Um, and so we had, you know, very volatile coaches. I mean, great, great minds, you know, Terry Collins, Larry Boa, you know, Rod Cruz on that team. We, I think, uh, George Hendrick, you know, we had, we had some great baseball people that had played at the highest levels and, and done well, but you know, they just, you know, the, 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 the you know, it's kind of like having too many A type personalities in a room, you know, you, you just can't have that. And Sosh comes along and, you know, he's very much a type, but you know, he, he came in with this philosophy of, you know, check your ego at the door. We're all pulling on the same side of the rope. We don't play the, the veteran game, you know, rookies, you know, rookie veteran game. Cause guess what? Tonight at seven o'clock, I need that rookie to play like a veteran. And so what do we need to do to make him feel comfortable? Um, you know, there, there was none of that, you know, he, he really brought a team together. Our spring training morning meetings were always classic, you know, something you always look forward to a lot of fun, you know, a lot of getting to know players, um, a lot of introductions, um, you know, and it wasn't just the guys that were, going to make the team to Anaheim. It was, you know, guys, you know, that spring training, you know, bringing a lot of guys, you know, your single A prospects, double A, triple A guys. Sosh wants every guy in the organization to start feeling comfortable with the, with the big league culture because he knows, as we all know now too, that he was going to pull 10 to 15 of those guys up. And when they come, he wants them to be able to hit the ground running. So, 
you know, there was very much a, um, a transparency between the big leagues and the AAA and AA, you know, rosters and, you know, with the guys, you know, feeling comfortable. So he really was all about culture. He was creating culture is what he was doing. Um, as far as the style of play, yeah, it was in your face. You know, push the limit, push the envelope. You know, let's be smart. You know, let's not be, you know, running indiscriminately. But, you know, hey, you know, l- let's let's talk about situations to push the envelope and 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 do it. You know, um, you know, we had guys that could run. I mean, I was a big guy. I could run. I could run the bases great. I didn't steal, but I could run the bases really good. And, you know, going first to third, it was like, yeah, push it every time, you know, you stay away from your first and third, you know, don't make your first out or third out there, but, you know, let's be smart about it and let's push the envelope as much as we can. And, you know, Sean Figgins came, you know, of course, we had Eckstein, you had Ersty, I mean, you had AK, you had guys that could run and could do it. So, um, you know, he put together a team that fit his style of play and um, guys that were good clubhouse guys. I mean, you know, we, we just had our 20th anniversary to the World Series this year. And, you know, we all got together again, and it was just great. It's like picking up where you left off and very much a blue-collar team. I mean, there was there was no clicks. You know, pitchers and hitters, you know, all got along. Nobody, you know, that's the thing. We didn't have that one superstar. You know, I mean, I in my mind, to me, Garrett Anderson's a superstar. But he didn't – he wasn't a superstar, in the you know, in, in the sense that like a Bonds or some of the guys around the league – we had good players. We had talented players. Um, but everybody had a blue collar mentality and blinders on and, you know, grind it out, you know, kind of a mentality and, and one pitch at a time. That was social's big thing. One pitch at a time, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, let me worry about tomorrow. Let me worry about, you know, the ninth inning. Let me worry, you know, you worry about your job right now, this next pitch. And he, and everybody bought into that. And, you know, it really, you know, you kind of play those nine innings and you wake up from the game. Oh, hey, we won, <laughs> you know, versus, you know, in the past, you know, focusing on things outside of your control, you know. So um, I, I, I give Sosha a ton of credit to that. And, you know, I, it, it's funny, you know, like you said, an outsider looking at our team, what does it look like? I mean, it's like my, you know, when I looked at your team, I kind of looked at it in the same way as maybe what you're saying about us. I mean, I saw very much a blue collar team with, some with, but you did have Griffey, you did have, you'd had Edgar, and you had and you had the big unit. So you did have some superstars on that team. So it was a little bit different than ours. That 2002 season, um, I remember, uh, you know, with the Mariners coming off that crazy 2001 year we had, uh, we started off the same way, and we were hot, and we were leading that division by a lot. And I remember just you guys just stalking us and then you just you wore us down and you caught us in the end i remember coming into anaheim late in the season and it was kind of on the line like you and the and the the a's just came out you know you just had these unbelievable runs and uh you caught us and i remember going in and it was a big series we had to i think we had to sweep you and you ended up either beating us two out of three or sweeping us but uh, what an unbelievable year, and you go on uh, to end up eventually winning that World Series. You you beat the Yankees and the Twins 3-1 and 4-1, uh, and you go on to the World Series, and it's your first World Series. Uh, I remember watching it. You know, everybody remembers the Tim Salmon on the top step when Bonds hits that ball. I still haven't seen – by the way, I still haven't seen I, – I try to walk every, – every time I see that clip, 
I try to really concentrate. I put my glasses on. I can't see where the ball lands that Bonds hit. It, it, it seems like did it land in the in the you know in the in the entrance that we see the did tunnel. it land over that? It's yeah. like a fog. I don't know where the ball lands. Yeah, yeah. yeah it went into the it went into that one of the the tunnels there. Okay, it went into um, the tunnel. It disappeared. Okay. Yeah, it disappeared in one of those tunnels. But yeah, it. You know, and it's funny. I get a lot of you know publicity for that too. I mean, you got to understand. I was a right fielder, but at the end of that season, I had knee issues, and they brought, we we traded for Alex Ochoa. So Ochoa became, you know, you talk about your caddy. He was my caddy after my fourth at bat. He'd go in and play defense, and he was usually picking up the eighth or the ninth inning. And in that situation, you know, I'm I'm in I'm on the bench now watching things, and you know, I'm used to guys like Bonds hitting bond, balls over my head. Well. I'm watching a guy like this from the sideline now hitting it. And I'm literally thinking to myself, that is the furthest ball I've ever seen hit from this vantage point. But also I'm trying to imagine from right field, like, like, yeah, balls don't go that far. Like, you know, back in the day, they didn't really, you know, today they, they fly. Let's just, let's call it what it is. But back in the day, you hit it, you hit it 40 rows back into a tunnel. That was a bomb, you know, especially if a guy like Ter Percival, right? I mean, throwing, you know, it was, you know, gas versus gas, right? I mean, so all those things came to play in that, that series. But yeah, I was, I had a front row seat to watching the most ultimate matchup, <laughs> you know, Percy and his fastball against bonds and his prolificness or whatever you want to call it. And I probably on this program, I talk about bonds too much, but I, I was just, I was always in awe of him it, it, during that stretch. Yeah. It's like people don't realize unless you were there watching him play, it was it was just a different level of player. I I try to explain it to to my son or or people of his age. You know, when they ask about Bonds, I said, "Well, he was so much better than the second best player I saw. It it wasn't even fair. I mean, it was almost like he was playing softball and the rest of us were playing big league baseball. I don't know. That's how I looked at it. But but uh, yeah, well, I, I, I do agree. Talk. Yeah, it's almost kind of like. You know, that, that senior going down and playing in a freshman game or that college player, you know, I mean, it, you, you, see, you saw those discrepancies in talent at the lower levels of your development, but you never saw it in the big leagues until Bonds came along. And so I agree completely. I mean, he was, you know, a man among boys. I mean, he was playing a different game than the rest of us. You know, you know he's, he's making 95 look like it's 75 and everybody else is struggling to hit it, you know. So I agree with you completely on that. Game two, you went, to, you hit two home runs. What do you remember? That was a great series. You guys ended up winning, yeah. uh, winning it all. And I, I could only imagine, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to go to one World Series. I ended up losing, but uh, winning the whole thing. You know, we're in the middle right now of the playoff run, and and uh, I say it all the time. I I watch those guys that are standing at the end and and hoisting that trophy. And, and it's such a cool thing. I never got to do it. And so many, so many great players that I played with never got to win a World Series. It just, it's, a, it's just a testament to how special it is and how hard it is to win a World Series. You got to do it. Take me through 0-2, winning it, and, uh, you know, the parade and, and everything that comes along with it. Yeah, well, a couple things. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I never made an all-star team. And I probably had a few years I should have, but. Never did. And more than a few. I, I look back on it now. <laughs> I look it's back on it now few. and I go, you know, what's that? 
No, I said more than a few times you should have made an all-star team. Oh, yeah, I was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're giving you well, some accolades. I look at it now. <laughs> I, I watch all-star. I look at all-star lineups and games. And I go, you know how many all-stars there would trade 20 all-stars for one World Series ring? I mean, you know, I, I'm like, hey, that's great. I, I've, I've got fulfillment in life. i got a World Series ring. I don't need an all-star ring, right, or all-star appearance. But nonetheless, uh, you know, that series was, I think what was great about that series because it was kind of the David versus Goliath in a sense. I mean, you had bonds and the whole bonds mystique and all that stuff that went with it. And, you know, here we are, the, the angels, the wild card team, the second, you know, behind the A's, behind Moneyball, and all that, you know, you know, we're the, we're the team that nobody, we're an afterthought, you know, and um, you know, we were a bunch of grinders. I mean, in, in its own way, maybe a little bit like Philly is right now, um, you know, kind of rose up from the ashes and grinded it all the way through the season to get in, and and they're they're making a run. They're they're hitting their their peak at the right time. We were kind of that team. You know, we we didn't really have the superstar. I mean, we had Gloss and and uh, GA, who I you know those were great players in the game, but they weren't superstars. You know, we didn't have that. We didn't. Jared Washburn was our ace. You know, um, Frankie Rodriguez had just got called up in September. You know, we we know him today as a superstar, but back then he was an unknown. You know, he was a kid that nobody could figure out. You know, it was like, what the heck is this for real? You know, and um, but we had a team that you know when we were all reflected. I mean, in seven games, well, even throughout the the whole playoffs, I mean, there were hero different heroes every series. I mean, it wasn't the same guys carrying the team. You know, AK three run three home runs on you know to to win the. The, the championship series against uh, the Yankees, you know, that he hits, or I'm sorry, the Twins. He hits the three home runs against the Twins. You know, Glosser, you know, had the big series and against the Yankees. And but, but to get to the World Series and do it, you know, I had my big night, game two. You know, I carried the torch that night. You know, and, and you know, Gloss had his glory, you know, time. You know, Ersti had his big hit. Spezio had his huge hit. You know, Fulmer was consistent. Uh, you know, you know, David Eckstein was in the middle of every rally, it seemed like. Um, Garrett Anderson really didn't do much until game seven, and he cleared the bases with, you know, driving in the winning run. Um, you know, everybody on that roster kind of had their moments. Sean Wooten, Benji Gill coming off the bench kind of had their moments. Um, the bullpen was, you know, gosh, I mean, it was five, you know, five and dive was kind of a moniker back then. But you know what? In our terms, it was like, no, we wanted five and divers. We didn't want our starters to go beyond five, right? Because, you know, we had Percy and Frankie Rodriguez and Scott Shields and Brendan Donnelly and Ben Weber, Scott Schoenweiss. I mean, heck, we were just looking to get in, you know, get it, get us through five so we can get to our bullpen because we won with our bullpen that year. I mean, our bull, we, we had, I think we had, 40 something come from behind wins that year. And it was all because of our bullpen, you know, keeping us in the game and allowing our offense to pick you know, pick back into it. So, um, you know, and then here's another thing too, is, you know, you're watching it right now, you know, you look at the wildcard teams that are playing. I mean, they've been playing playoff baseball for the last month and that's the way we were. I mean, we, you talked about that series in Seattle. Well, we were chasing you and then Oakland and we were hanging in there for our dear lives and made the wildcard the last week of the season. So, we were playing wild card baseball the last 30 games of the year. Postseason comes along, we're in, you know, we're we're in, we're in great shape for that. I mean, we've been playing that style of ball all all year long. It seemed like, and so we were able to sneak up on the Yankees, and you know, the you know, the Yankees were much like the Dodgers or the Braves that you know got punched out, you know, that you know this year. So. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot about being that wild card team. I mean, you really do 
the bright lights aren't any brighter because you've been there for 30 days, right? So um, that was that's what I remember about that team, you know, winning it all and you know the back and forth. It was a great, the Giants were just like us in that sense, wild card team, and it bounced back and forth. But Spezio in game what was a game six, you know, coming you know coming from behind, you know, in the we're down five runs in the sixth inning, I think, and you know Spezio's big homer got it back, got us back into it, it was huge. Um, you know, Dusty Baker was there. <laughs> he's there again today. I mean, holy cow, this guy keeps, he's been around forever, but, um, you know, he, you know, he experienced that, that little bit of that meltdown there. They thought they had it in game six and we forced a game seven and, and, uh, and took it. So it, it's truly, um, you know, sitting in here at 54 years old, it's the crowning achievement of your life. I mean, I'm so thankful I got to experience that. It really is the biggest thing I've ever done and probably, you know, outside of raising my kids, it will be, it's right there with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that you take to the grave and, you know, it's, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving the rest of your life. Cause everywhere you go, it's, it's just there with you. It never, it never loses its tarnish. So it's pretty amazing. I think you br- you bring up that's a great point you made about playing wild card baseball the last month. I mean, you're right. You're these teams that win the division go wire to wire. Great example this year: the Dodgers. They win 111 games. Uh, you know, if you had to break these teams down on paper, and that's why I, I love baseball so much because it's there's the unknown. Yeah, it's like, well, who's going to win, Brett? Well, of course the Dodgers are going to win because I look at their team. I look how they're set up. I look at the depth of their roster. They're the best team in baseball, so the Dodgers will win. Well, we're sitting here, and the Dodgers just got bumped from the playoffs, and that's baseball. Yeah. And, and I think you bring up a great point. These teams that have been grinded just to make the postseason – it's like they get to the postseason. They're like, "Hey guys, welcome to the show. We've been doing this for a while. We got a little bit more experience than you with it. So, you know, dive yeah. in. Maybe your 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 talent will override uh, our experience now." But I think you make a great point, and and I've never thought about it that way. It's like, yeah, the wild card. They had to fight to get there, so they've been playing that playoff caliber baseball. Why the other teams are kind of waiting for the tournament to start? You've been in that tournament for a while. I think that's a great point. Um, well, you know, Booney, the other thing too about that is, is that people don't realize the energy level, there's two energy, the season energy level, even in the big games is that, you know, it's kind of like the volumes, like at a seven, you know, when you get to the postseason, it's, it's beyond 10, it's like maxed out every single game. And that, that kind of, that kind of, you know, it's, you got to take a step back for a second and like, Whoa, let me gather myself here. I mean, Booney, I, I played in some huge games in my whole career, but I tell you what, my first at bat in, in the World Series facing Jason Smith, it was so intense. The crowd was so intense. I stood in the box and my knees were visibly shaking so much that it distracted me from my at bat. I was like, just, okay, just try to keep my knees still. Try, can people see it? I was so thinking about my knees shaking that I couldn't focus on the pitch. Then I struck out. And I was just like, I'm walking back to the dugout going, okay, what the hell just happened? I mean, how am I not in control of my emotions right now? I mean, this is so off the charts energy wise right now. Like, okay, I'm shocked that I'm, that I'm responding this way. And again, okay. It took me a couple innings and getting used to that and and, and being able to respond. But again, that's playoff baseball from beginning. And that's why the guys like the Dodgers who coasted in basically into the, you know, the playoffs, they've never had that intense game 
until the first game of the playoffs. And, you know, can some guys respond? Yeah, maybe some, for some guys it takes a little bit of a few more at-bats, a few more innings on the mound to, to, to harness those emotions and be able to get to where you normally perform. And some guys just can't do it. And that's what, I think that's what it's all about is harnessing those emotions because that energy is so extreme, you know, and I think that goes for all sports. I think that's the difference maker. You go to a playoff game in any sport, it's so much different than the regular season. Without a doubt. And I, I got to go to, you know, I was in three, uh, post seasons, uh, two of them, we went on, uh, to the, to the ALCS and the AL NLCS. And then one, I got to go to the world series. So I, I had a, you know, for only being in the postseason, three of the years I played, I had a decent sample size because because we 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 advanced all three times. But you're right; it, it is different than the regular season, and and we play in some big regular season games. I always talk about the year, and and it didn't matter how long or how much time I had in the big leagues. It seemed like, and I don't know if this was the same for you. I remember spring training, the first game. You know, and it didn't matter the year I was coming off. Great year, mediocre year. I, I, it didn't matter if I had two years in the big leagues or 12 years in the big leagues at the time. I wanted that first spring training game. No matter where it was, just I don't care if I get a hit. Just don't embarrass yourself. Don't chase two sliders two feet off the plate. To, to, to Just you got to verify that, all right, I still got this. It's a new season. But as long as I'd come back, okay, I, but I still had the butterflies. And I could be a 10-year veteran. Oh, yeah. I had the butter. Once I got that first spring training about out of the way, now it was spring training. Now let's get our work in. Opening day. Always that first at bat. Hey, just get off the, you know, get off to a good start. Doesn't necessarily need a hit. Just give me a solid at bat. Once it, now we're off to the races. We got 162. But like you said, then you get to the postseason. A different level of butterflies. No matter if you've been there before or not, it's that anticipation. It's like, let's just get this thing rolling. And, and once you get into the series, it gets a little more comfortable. But you're right. It doesn't matter how much experience, how many times you've been there. I'll guarantee you, uh, if we ask Derek Jeter, did you have the, the, the postseason butterflies? I'll guarantee he'd say, absolutely. They never went away because it's such an intense atmosphere. Yep. Yep, I always say if you're not nervous, you're not ready. <laughs> you know, I got I got a nervous, question for you. Comfortable over four. <laughs> I went to a uh, recently. I went up to to uh, Anaheim watch the Angels play uh, about uh, three weeks ago, and you know I had my daughter was there, and I, f- I forget who I took. One of my sons. So we're sitting in the in the crowd, and all of a sudden, seventh inning, rally monkey comes on. And I, as an opponent, I know you probably have talked to a couple, couple of your teammates and they couldn't stand the rally monkey after a while, but I'm telling you as a Mariner coming to play the angels, myself and Johnny Olerud used to sit out there when the rally monkey would come on and we loved it. We would relish it at like the, and usually when the rally monkey's out, that's not good for the, for the visiting team. But it was almost worth it to see if we could come. I'm like, I love when the rally, I loved him. I still love it to this day. I was videoing the rally monkey when I was at the game because I remember those times and it just gave me good a good feeling in those years. Um, I know yeah. the, the home team doesn't necessarily love it. Give me your your take on the rally monkey. <laughs> well, the only, the, the, good, the only good thing about the rally monkey is it got Anaheim fans, which – you know, Southern California fans are a little different than East Coast Yankee fans, right? 
but at least it got him fired up and and gave us a little bit more of an edge than uh, than we were used to. That, that that's to me what I would credit the rally monkey for that that stretch for us in 02 that rally monkey came out and you know and of course you know we were playing better so the fans would stick around a little longer and but the rally monkey really energized the fans and you know i didn't really pay much attention to the the antics that were going on on the big screen or anything like that i would you know you, you knew it was the, the the sound the music you know what is it um what's that it's the will smith uh, jump jump around or what i don't know something like that 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 that's what got the fans energized and that's what I appreciated, you know, having those at bats that, you know, maybe got me going a little bit more, maybe put the pressure on the opposition. Um, I appreciate it from that standpoint. I watched it today too, the rally monkey. And I, you know, I'm like, is it ever going to lose its luster? <laughs> is it really the same? I mean, it was pretty special in 02. That's for sure though. Um, oh, three, oh, four, oh, five, oh, six, oh, six is your, your last year. A little, before we get to that, I want a, a little transition uh, for you, because I think starting in 03, you started to DH a little bit. Um, how was that transition for you? Because you're used to playing all the time. You mentioned in that 02 season, you'd have a caddy for you late in the game. But that transition going from position player to DH, I don't know if I could have done it. You know, I, I played with Edgar for a long time, and I know at the very beginning he really fought it. Uh, and then eventually he, he took to it and he said it took him years to have a routine and to, yeah. you know, because the rest of us, I took a lot of solace in when I was struggling at the plate, at least I've got defense and I can go out there and it can distract me from my swing right now, which isn't very good. And I'm not picking up the breaking ball, but I'm going to go take a hit away. So it gave me kind of a distraction. I think a healthy distraction because hitting is so hard. Did you have it? Did you find it to be tough at first or was it an easy transition when you started DH and more? Yeah. You know, um, you know, the question, I mean, injuries usually what is what transitions you. And I had a couple injuries in late nineties, plantar fasciitis. And, you know, and then as I, in the two thousands, I got into my knee issues. So I was my, I had already started experiencing a little bit of DH, you know, I, you went from DH and, you know, once a week to, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. And, and then eventually, um, you know, and then there was a period where you had an injury and then you DH only for, you know, for the next two weeks. And so I kind of had some experience with it. And, but I always, in, early on when I did it, I was always going to transition back to the outfield at some point. Um, pretty much after, what was it? Oh, three. Oh, three was my last year really playing every day in the outfield because we traded for Vladdy in oh, four. And at that point, I became the full-time DH. So that was the first time that it really became like what Edgar was saying. Okay, what's my routine? And trying to figure it out. And I talked to Paul Molitor, and I, you know, talked to, um, you know, Chili Davis and some of the guys that have been DH. And, and, you know, they all pretty much gave me the same advice. They're, you know, they're like, hey, you know, play the game from your position while you're on the bench. You know, try to don't don't just get distracted on the bench with sunflower seeds and the antics there, you know, try to be a position player and think through the game. And, you know, that, that was helpful. Um, you know, the other thing is don't stay out of the batting cage, you know, don't spend too much time down there in between at bats because you'll lose your swing. You know, you've heard that term, you know, you take too many swings, you'll lose your swing. And, um, so I, I kind of figured it out. Um, but you know, whether or not it was 
you know, I was able to make a good transition or not. You know, I was already at a point health wise where I was starting to break down, you know, my knee, my shoulder, I had rotator cuff issues on my left shoulder. So my swing changed, you know, my bottom hand on the bat, I couldn't pull through like I used to. And, you know, I was already, I was just breaking down and Oh four, um, you know, kind of had a tattered season DL'd a couple times. So I, you know, when I played, I was DH and, but you know, I pretty much shut it down. They know four, four and I missed all of Oh five because of these injuries. And so, um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's natural in the game, right? I mean, you know, your, you, your body's breaking down and you still think you can do it, but you're the last person to realize that the game's passing you by, I guess. And, but you know, um, I DH while I could, but I missed all of Oh five and came back in Oh six thinking I was retired and spring training, you know, I was feeling relatively healthy. I mean, my shoulder had been fixed. My knee had been somewhat fixed and was somewhat productive and, you know, thought I was going to spend two weeks there and retire as an angel. And, and, uh, lo and behold, we had the world baseball league. So all the Latin guys left for that. And then we had a, some injuries. Garrett was hurt and they're like just looking for warm bodies to play spring training games. So I got to, you know, they're like, well, you know, I was going to be getting my bats in the minor leagues if, or in the, the lower levels games. But, um, all of a sudden I'm playing in the A games and getting at bats and, Hey, all of a sudden I'm playing the game at a decent level again. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm coming home every day telling my wife, well, I, I you know, it's funny, but I might make this team. I maybe we're not retired yet, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so that was kind of funny to wait, watch the way that spring went. And, you know, we went to Dodger stadium, you know, and nothing had been told to me yet. And I remember I had a pinch hit at bat and by then all the regulars were back, but I had a pinch hit at bat off a lefty. I can't remember what was his name. Um, anyway, and hit a home run and, you know, came in and um, Mickey Hatcher kind of gave me that look like way to go. And, and um, you know, found out I made the team. So it was kind of weird. At the end of my career, I was like, <laughs> I went all the way down the last game in spring training. I made the team as a 25th guy. But, you know, my role was going to be, a you know, the, the veteran off the bench hitting off the lefties pretty much. And, you know, so I played my last year in that kind of a capacity. So it was, you know, it, it kind of went full circle. You know, I kind of understood what the bench guy feels like, what the guy on the yo-yo, what the guy that doesn't play every day, what the guy that, you know, hasn't had in a bat in a week and has to face the closer. <laughs> I learned all that right. in my last year in 06. <laughs> so 06, you knew, you knew that was going to be the, the your final year? Oh, for sure, yeah. And when 06 yeah. ended, you, re- yeah. Yeah, you retired. I mean, great career. 282, uh, one short of 300 homers, over a thousand ribbies. Uh, did you miss it right away, or did you think, no, it's time? The writing's on the wall, and, and you you were at peace with it. I was at peace, totally. I mean, I was thankful. You know, Gary D. Sarcino always told me, he said, Fish, nobody gets to ride off in the sunset in this game. He, I had heard that for years, and you know. I kind of did. I got to ride off in the sunset on under my terms. And, and, um, I, I was, I was thankful for that. I mean, to, you know, after Oh four being hurt, you know what it's like playing hurt. The game sucks. I mean, you're spending more time getting ready to get on the field than you were to play the game and you couldn't focus. And, you know, Oh four, Oh four was, was really terrible. I mean, and then Oh five being out of it and getting a taste of retirement and coaching little league and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to be home. And then coming back in 06, like I say, the way it started out was just a formality to retire me in, in an angel uniform. 
ended up <laughs> extending on to a full season, you know, I'm going back to my, hey, telling my Little League, you know, I was a board member, hey, guys, I got to go play this year. <laughs> and, you know, asking my kids, hey, you guys okay if I go play one more year? I mean, I was so ready not to come back and then to have to come back and have it the way it was and kind of go out on my own terms. And um, I thought that was, that was a, a, an amazing finish to my career. And, um, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, I, I tell you what I've learned. I learned as much as I learned in the game in the first, you know, 13 years, I learned so much about the game behind the scenes in the sense of being on the bench side as a, as that bench player and watching social at work, talking to my other coaches, you know, on the bench, you know, strategizing the game. It was almost like I was kind of a player coach that year. I could, you know, I started thinking with the manager, when or when, when's my bats coming, you know, when, whatever, all those things, you know, understanding what a bench player's role is and what that feels like to that player. And, you know, now I'm a coach, a high school coach and, you know, I'm an, I'm, I'm an analyst. And so I can speak to, you know, everybody on that bench, every, every guy from the everyday starter to the 25th guy to the guy on the yo-yo, I can speak to that. And I feel like it, it just really well, it gave me that well-rounded, you know, comprehensive, comprehensive understanding of the game. And, you know, it's, it's helped me be who I am now in retirement and in those other capacities. So I'm thankful for 06 that it worked out the way it did, but yeah, I was ready to go. Really interesting. The fact that you say at the end, Oh six, you didn't, you didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden you're, you're sitting there going, wow, I'm playing pretty good. I'm competing, you know, probably surprising yourself a little bit. I look at this year and, and I'm wondering what you thought, because you've been in so many different roles watching Albert down the stretch. Cause I'm sitting there as an ex player yeah. and I'm watching a 42 year old man playing like a 25 year old Albert. I mean, he's, he wasn't just playing good for him the second half when he went back to St. Louis, he was like tops in the league. And all of a sudden, they're probably planning on, you know, his his nice farewell tour and, hey, we're going to get you in there against some lefties. Next thing you know, Albert's in the middle of the lineup hitting against everybody. He gets to the 700 homers. I, I, I want to meet the guy that thought he was going to get to 700. I definitely wasn't. I was overly impressed. And, and it was kind of his swan song. It's, you know, one of the greatest offensive players of all times retiring. And all of a sudden, he plays that good. I mean – Timmy, I don't know if you're watching. He's hitting like bombs the other way and watching them at 42. Yeah. That doesn't usually happen. Yeah. I wonder if it crossed his mind like, I can still play at a high level. Can I? Can I? But but it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like you can't continue. You know, you've told everybody yeah. so much that this is it. But uh, it's a crazy game, and and yeah. when you feel that, well, I, I know when that- I when I was when I was getting ready to retire. And I can't, I retired, then I unretired, and I came back, and I had to be beaten over the head like, yeah, Brett, you're not that, you're a shell of what you used to be. So I could live with it in the end. I knew I, I couldn't play like I, I could play even three years ago. Um, I couldn't play a day game after the night game because my knees were bothering me so much. So it's easy when you're, when you're not physically there and you can't play at that level anymore. It becomes a little easier to walk away, but you're going out on top. I'm, I'm always impressed with guys. You know, you mentioned Paul Molitor earlier. I had, him, uh, I had him on the podcast a while ago. And his last year, he hit like 330. I said, how do you walk away from the game when you're that good of a hitter still? I, I couldn't imagine doing that. And he said, yeah, Brett, it was just time. It was time for me to 
for me to go. Some guys know. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's really interesting when you're that physically on top of things to, to walk away from it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, um, uh, Eduardo Perez, he was with you in Seattle, I think, in 06. Or he was in Seattle. I don't know if you were there. He was in Seattle. Yeah, was- I was gone. I was gone then. Yeah, I played. Yeah, I played with Eddie, and uh, I played with Eddie in Cincinnati. He was a teammate of mine. Okay, yeah. So I'd known Eddie early on in our, his career coming up with the Angels, but we were talking one day by the cage, and he's like, "Fish." He's like, "He's like, man." He goes, "You can stick around this game a long time doing what you're doing right now." You know, being like the Matt Stairs, you know, the veteran coming off the bench facing the the lefties, you know, and and I did pretty well doing that, but. You know, to me, I was 38 years old. Like I said, I got a taste for retirement. I still understood my body. I mean, my body, you know, it was kind of like Humpty Dumpty. You know, I fell off the wall. I was in pieces. Dr. Yoakum put me back together. He didn't really put me back together to go resume my career. He was really more concerned with me being able to play golf twice a week, you know. So I knew that, you know, I could keep playing, but it was going to be even more of a cost on my knee, which was bone on bone, my shoulder, which was, you know, barely holding together, you know. I just knew that it was time to go so that I could get on and enjoy life with my family and my kids and do the things that, you know, that I wanted to do. I mean, to stick around for two more years for what, to get over 300 homers, 299 is a better story, but you know, to hit 310, <laughs> I mean, or, you know, what am I sticking around for, you know, to make a little bit, a few more bucks. I mean, I'd made a lot of money and so, you know, it was the right time to leave for me. I watch Albert right now and I, and I, and, and I could understand this part of what he was going through. And that is there's a definitive end date and that energizes you. And it's almost like your body is gathering every last ounce of energy, mental, physical, whatever it is, just to finish strong. You know, he knew the, the ending date was coming. I knew the ending date was coming. So, you know, you know, for him to be able to say, oh, my gosh, I finished so good. I'm going to come back and play next year. He might totally fall on his face next year because he's right, got motivation right, right. right now, you know. Right. So, um, so I, I, I get where he was able to muster that 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 last ounce of whatever it was down the stretch, and you know he was feeding off the energy of the fans. I mean, it's so awesome being back in St. Louis for him to feed off that energy. So, um, yeah, I understand maybe where some of that came from, you know. And I saw a lot of them here in Anaheim, but. Um, you know, there that down the stretch, it was pretty phenomenal, but I get it. You know, you're playing in that playoff atmosphere. You know, what do they say when you're in the playoffs? You never feel like your feet hit the ground when you're running, right? <laughs> like the the energy right. just lifted you. And, and, uh, I, I think Albert was very much that way down the stretch for the, for the Cardinals. Uh, I already mentioned entire career as an angel, uh, very rare in today's game. But in 2015, uh, you get that call. I, I think for Tim Salmon, uh, start to finish, you were their star for a lot of years in the middle of that lineup. Uh, it was kind of probably you already knew that. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be a Hall of Famer for the in the Angels Hall of Fame. But when you get that call, it's got to be special for you. You know, when the day finally comes, uh, take me through that that, uh, that process. Yeah. Well, a couple of things, you know, I, I still, even today, I feel like I'm, you know, Joe Madden was, it was probably the latest link, but I mean, I go back to the eighties and I really understand the guys that played in the early eighties and the seventies. I know the history. I mean, how many angel players playing today or, 
Yeah, I mean, or guys that are around in my capacity could tell you about the history of the Angels. I mean, there's nobody on the team today that could tell you the history of the Angels. I mean, they don't know anything. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned Chili Davis to one of the guys, and he's like, oh, I, I'm not sure I know who that is. You know, so <laughs> that's where we're at with today's player. But um, I, I felt like, you know, I was that player that I knew so much of the history so that when I look at the history and I look at the Don Baylors and the Gritches and the um, um, the senseis and the, the Carews and the, the, for, uh, for and the Ryans and, you know, um, Joe Rudy. I mean, I, I, when I, when I hear those names and I go, Oh my gosh, those guys are hall of famers. Those guys are like monsters in the, you know, the, these are the Mount Rushmore's of the game and they were angels and you're going to put me with them. What? No way. You know, it's like, it, I didn't seem, it didn't seem worthy. It's like, no, I had a good career. Great. I, you know, I've had, a, I don't need this. Like, you know, it, I, I was very humbled with them coming to me and doing that. And, and, and what I, what I, what I didn't appreciate, and I think it's hard to appreciate as a player is we make an impact on our fans. We make an impact on people around us that we don't sometimes understand or realize or to the extent that it is. And what I see now as I'm doing my analyst job and I'm around the team and all that, that I had, I had a really big impact on the community and on the fans. And, 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 and it was just as much of that as it was for what I did on the field that in the sense of making me a hall of famer, that's what it's about. Um, I was a fan favorite and I, you know, there's guys that are hall of famers that their numbers get them there and they weren't fan favorites, but you know, I had a good career, but I was a fan favorite and, and the way I conducted myself off the field and on the field and, you know, my interactions with the fans over the years and with the media and all that kind of stuff endeared me in that way that, you know, maybe lifted up the, you know, the things that I didn't have statistically and, and maybe in the eyes of people, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe getting offline here a little bit, but, but basically my version of Don Baylor and those guys were all these monsters of the game that did these heroic, amazing things. They were hall of famers, you know, from that standpoint, yes, I did not match them, but, um, but I matched in the sense of being the organizational guy, the guy from, you know, cradle to grave, the, the fan favorite, all that other stuff. I understand why I am what I am there. It's still humbling. It's still amazing, you know, to, to know that you're alongside a guy like Nolan Ryan and, you know, some of these crews and, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's, um, it's special. It, it, it's special. I'm thankful for it. Um, never imagined it in, in, you know, a million years. So, you know, I'll, I'll take it. It's, it's humbling, but, uh, you know, it keeps me around. And like I said, I, I'm I, now I'm a, I'm a team ambassador. I'm that, I'm kind of that last link, you know, to the past, <laughs> you know, going forward. And, and I hope that I can continue to be that and be around the club and in the capacities that I am now. So. Shoot, you came in, you talk about team history. You, you came in playing for the Cowboy. Gene Autry passed it on. Gene to, Autry. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you passed yeah. that on to Artie Marino. There's talk of the Angels yeah. being sold. We, we won't get into that. Who knows if that's going to happen. But you're talking about well, let me, let uh, being you, an ant. Let me, let, me let me tell you about Mr. Autry real quick because that's a good point. Love Mr. it. Mr. Autry, yeah, I mean, Mr. Autry was awesome. And, and I knew, even when I came up in 92, I mean, we all knew Mr. Autry, like, okay, we had this idea, but here's the thing. My dad grew up probably the biggest Gene Autry fan. Like I've got, he passed away last year. My dad did, but I've got a box sitting in my room with probably 50 Gene Autry comic books. I heard more about Gene Autry 
from my dad growing up and to sing in cowboy and he was my dad's hero and this and that. And I got to play for Gene Autry. I, so I, I appreciated that. I totally got it. I mean, the greatest thing, greatest thing I could ever do for my dad was having my dad meet Gene Autry. Mr. He got to sit in Gene Autry's box for a game and talk with Mr. Autry the entire game that I get that I get the past on this, this organization. And, and again, that's the big link during the world series. See, there's pictures of David, David Eckstein wearing the cowboy hat. Well, you got to understand, you know, um, not many guys understood the whole cowboy thing. Not, a, not many guys understood that, you know, 86 and the collapse and all those teams in 82, you know, the, the, the teams that Mr. Autry, you know, he was, you know, he, he was close to those guys, and they were all trying to win it for him, and he never got there. Well, when we win it, you know, I told Tim Mead, I said, hey, listen, you know, I want to represent Gene Autry in, in, in this series. I, I want him with us in spirit. And, you know, I had um, – I wore a Gene Autry patch in my pocket the whole series. Um, you know, I had Mrs. Autry bring down one of his cowboy hats, you know, for, you know, the post game. I, you know, afterwards I said, you know, I think we need to have him in spirit in this. Well – David Eckstein was the only guy that had a small enough head that could wear that hat. So that's why you see Eckstein wearing that hat. But again, you know, nobody, you know, people didn't understand the connection going back to Mr. Autry like I did. So I'm thankful that in that period of time that I was able to, you know, help bring that together and, and make that connection all those years later after he passed away. And, you know, cause you know, to the fans, I mean, I think, I think that's what the fans wanted to see too. That's what they appreciate that the California angels, that was Gene Autry's team. And they won without him there, but he was there. He was there in spirit. Very cool. You're uh, now an analyst with the Angels. Uh, you're working with your buddy Garrett, and you see, you get to see Gooby every day. Um, I want to talk a little bit before, yeah, Langer. Before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about that this current team, and and you know, you're getting it up front. I, I get to watch it on TV or the clips, but you're seeing it every day. Uh, talk a little bit about watching Trout. How good is he? I mean, I watch him, and I just yeah. – I, I remember the last the, the last series I think you had up in Oakland. He hit that ball. And we know, Timmy, during the day in Oakland, it carries a lot better than it does at night. But he hit that ball to center field. It kept going, and, and he hit it up in the next tier. And it just reminds me how good of a player he is, how good of a player he's been. You're watching him on a daily basis, and you're watching Otani, which is blowing my mind. It's almost like yeah. – I want to put him in bubble wrap because I don't believe what I'm seeing. We know how hard this game is to be position players, how much we have to prepare, how much video we have to watch preparation. Our swing isn't, isn't good. We got to go down we got to get there early and do this and get ready for the game tonight. And, and we've got, a, we've got uh, eight games in the next seven, seven days. I couldn't imagine doing that. And I've got to do my Job exercises on the side. I got to do my rubber bands that I got to run with the pitchers and get ready to start every fifth day. I'm watching it. I'm loving it. I don't know how you're going to pay this guy in the long run. Whoever whoever no. signs him, if he stays with the Angels or he moves on. Uh, but I, I don't know how he can keep it up. How can you play at that high of a level? And it's cool to watch him because he's got that wry smile on his face all the time. I think he's aware of what he's doing and how like it's never been done before. And he'll like steal second base and, and kind of look at you like, Oh yeah. And I steal bases too. It's funny to me. I, I can't, I didn't think we'd ever see this day. I'm watching it. I hope, I hope we get to watch it for years to come, but man, it, yeah. it's gotta be tough. You're seeing it on a daily basis. Are you as impressed as I am? 
Well, yeah, and there's two fronts here, Trout and him. <laughs> so Trout you know, is I mean, obviously oh. Yeah, Trout Trout is Trout is amazing. You know, I, I here's what I'll say about both those guys. They the way they go about their game and the way they, they approach it, the way they respect it, the way they prepare for it is very much the way we did it. It's very old school in that sense. Um, they play they go about it the right way. Neither one of them are big um, you know, into all the swing analytics and all that kind of stuff. They kind of have their own programs. Um, at least that's kind of what I hear. I mean, I'm, I'm sure to some degree they've, they've adopted some of it, but um, you know, they're, they're very much players that could play in any era. And, and you can't say that about, you know, in any league, you can't, you know, there's always the handful of guys that could play in the older era. you know, of course the older we get, the better we were. Right. So our era was the best, but um but no, that, that these guys could play in any era, um, past, present, or future. I mean, they, they know, they, they've, they understand the game of baseball at its essence and, and they, and they prepare in the ways to play it at, at, at that level. Um, Trout's just phenomenal. Just, um, you know, he's just, he's so big and so strong and he just, he has such a great approach and he's had that from the time he came up in 19. Um, yeah, he's, there's so much has been said about him. We can move on from him. Otani, you're right. People don't appreciate I, I Listen, I can appreciate what Aaron Judge did this year. Aaron Judge is phenomenal. Great. Had a, had a career year. But Otani, Otani should have won 20 games this year. If the Angels aren't as bad as they were for a stretch offensively, he wins 20 games. He might be the league leader in that. He has an ERA in the twos. He has the strikeouts, the innings. He goes out there. He had the big games against the big teams. Um, you know, oh, and then, by the way, he hits in those games, and, you know, he doesn't miss a beat. He breaks up double plays. He beats out double plays on, while he's going to the mound. He runs the bases and then p- takes a glove and goes straight to the mound. And then the next day he picks up and he's a DH, and he usually hits a home run. What he does is truly confounding. I mean, I, I've said it before that he's playing the game like like we all played it back in Little League when we were 10 years old. Um, you know, that, that lasts till you're maybe 10, 11, 12, maybe some into high school, you know, but usually after high school, it's done, right? And this guy, too, he's not just an average player. He's in the top five pitching, top five hitting, top five homers, ERA. I mean – to be at the level that he is, is just, it's phenomenal. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm going to give him an MVP vote here, but you know, the most valuable player, the most valuable player to the game is Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani, he transcends continents. He's talked about on the other side of the world. Major league baseball's brand reaches every corner of the planet because of Shohei Otani. (laughs) Other sports come out and talk about him. It's Shohei Otani. So we're talking about the most valuable player. Um, you know, he he is doing – Judge, great. Judge passed a home run total that has already been passed. Maybe not in America League, but in – okay, great. Shohei Otani is rewriting record books. I mean, you know, this isn't – you know, it's not you – know, Babe Ruth is way in the rearview mirror here. I mean, he's rewriting the record books. He's setting – records that will never be broken ever, 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 ever in this game. There's no way. There's no way somebody's going to go out there and hit 35 homers and win 16 games and do what he did. 
um, you know, that to me, that to me is so special and so beyond comprehension that if he was playing for the Yankees, it would, it, there would be no other story in, in the game of baseball all season long. <laughs> it just happened. I, I, I agree. And, it, and it's, it's not a, it's not it, because I think what Aaron judge done this year on that Yankee team on the big stage, uh, the way he's handled himself, I've been most impressed with, you know, Jeter for years, uh, yeah. You know, I, I always used to say, if there was a PR 101, Derek Jeter should should teach the course because I think he handled himself like a pro his entire career. That's what made Derek Jeter Derek Jeter. Not necessarily all the Hall of all the World Series he went to, all the games, but the fact that how he handled himself. Uh, I watch Eric Aaron Judge, same thing. I mean, what a pro! What an unbelievable year he's had. But I don't care if he hits eighty home runs. Shoei Otani, the, it's, it begins and ends. And I've said that from midseason. I said as long as Shoei remains healthy, there's no other choice. Nobody has ever come close to doing, like, like you mentioned, Judge, he broke the American League record. That's great. Shoei Otani is breaking records. No one's even close to doing what he's doing. Not even close. So I'm, I'm with you. Right. He's setting him. And no one's even close. It's not like, well, this guy this one year did this. No, no one's even no one can even talk to him about what he's doing right now. So for me, it's a no brainer. I, I don't know if if uh, you and myself, we might be in the minority because we don't have a true vote. Uh, but I don't even think it's close. I don't even think it's close. Yeah. And, and that takes well, like I said. It takes nothing away from Aaron Judge's year. It's not his fault that we've got an absolute freak of nature doing things that no other human's ever done before. It's like, and this might be a terrible analogy. He's playing quarterback and middle linebacker. Maybe that's not maybe that's that. not fair, but that's the closest thing I can come up with. Yeah, Tom Brady's a middle linebacker on a defense yeah, that stuff. Right, and, and by the way, I'm an all pro at both positions. <laughs> yeah, and and if you need me, I'll run a yeah. kickback for you. And, and you want me to yeah. hold for extra points? I'll, I'll hold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's definitely, um, he, he's definitely in a class by himself. And, 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 and I say the same too. I mean, judge had a phenomenal year and I agree with you a hundred percent, everything that he's done, it's New York to be able to do it in New York. And, you know, from PR standpoint and all that, he handled himself great. And, and, it, and and it, it isn't to me. I guess the 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 frustration comes in as a former player for the Angels is that we've always kind of had to scratch and claw for any kind of national attention, right? And here you have o- Otani, who is you know it's West Coast. You know, there's just such an East Coast bias. I guess is what I'm saying. There's such an East Coast bias. You know, if Otani was doing this and pinstripes or, you know, Red Sox or anything, anything back there where they saw it regularly, it would be talked about so much more than it is. And um, because it's West coast and it's the angels and they're losing and they're, you know, there's all these other storylines. It gets lost in there, you know, and, but you know, Hey, I mean, Otani, there was a point when Otani, we played the Dodgers and it would look like a B game in spring training, like that travel roster. We have one veteran on the team representing that was Otani. He was the only like veteran in the lineup playing the Dodgers in a packed house. And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this guy is a superstar. He doesn't, you know, he, 
he doesn't do any of the superstar things like duck guys or not play here or not. He, he clocks in and clocks out every single day. He busts his butt. You never see him, you know, you never get on him about not about his effort. You know, you, you never see that big lull like, oh my gosh, he just threw 110 pitches the night before and went eight innings and his legs are tired and you see him, you know, jogging or having bad at bats the next day. He never did that. And that to me is what is so phenomenal. And that's what makes him special. Tim Salmon, I appreciate it, man. This was this was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun catching up. We're we're the old guys going down memory lane, but uh what a career. Yeah. Uh Angels Hall of Famer, awesome. Um tell your brother hi. And what we yeah. do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. That voice is Dan Levy. Dan, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone podcast, neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Moon Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone29. I'm Dan Levy, B A S S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.